Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So I'm going to um, read from the uh, book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. If you have a Bible, you want to um, go there. Uh, Christ um, 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 comes into the city of Jerusalem. Christ is um, executed, lynched uh, in a Roman fashion, crucifixion. And um, then he resurrects three days on the third day. We're going to celebrate all that right in a couple weeks, aren't we? Holy Week, Palm Sunday, um, and then, um, you know, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, um, and Easter, celebrate the resurrection. Well, 40 days of appearances Christ makes to his apostles, and uh, then they gather on the mountain, and uh, Christ is a-leaving He's um, going to ascend to the throne of God, the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he says to them what? Let's go. Go make disciples, right? Um, Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teach them everything that I taught um, to you. Uh, But Jesus says, don't do any of that until the Holy Spirit comes. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. And they waited 10 days, and the Feast of Pentecost Jerusalem's crowded with uh, Jewish pilgrims from all over, uh, from far, far away. Every, every tongue, uh, every nation, they're all gathered there. The Holy Spirit comes, and suddenly the gospel's being proclaimed uh, in every language. And, um, and this thing emerges called the church. And it's right here in Acts chapter 2. It says that uh, those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day 3,000 souls. And uh, here's where we pick it up at verse 42. So stand if you're able and willing. Give our attention to the word of God. Now what does it say happened? I mean, it's the spirit comes. These timid apostles who all ran away at the crucifixion. It says of this new thing that's forming And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were what? Together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. And day by day, attending the temple, Together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. God, um, we marvel at what happened 2,000 years ago. You said you would build your church, and this explosion takes place. And uh, and now in, um, in every place, in every corner of the earth, in, uh, in big cities, in, in small villages, in rural places, um, from the coldest places to the hottest parts of the earth, your people are there. And they gather and they worship 
And you've created this thing called the church, your family, your people. And we're experiencing it right here in Citrus County, Florida, 2,000 years after these events. You've done it, Lord Jesus. You continue to do it. We give you our praise. Knit this church into a beautiful picture that brings life and hope and healing to many. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. So what if there was a community? Everybody wants a community. We don't wanna be alone. What if there was a community of people that they were so well loved that they were filled with joy, they were fun, they didn't take themselves too seriously. They didn't take God real seriously though. They laughed a lot. They loved to eat and sing and dance together. What if there was a community like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Don't our hearts long for that? What if there was a community that looked after each other and loved each other's kids and honored the aging and, and cared about their neighbors and fed the hungry and built beautiful families and started businesses so that their whole community would flourish. I mean, if there was a community like that, wouldn't you crawl over broken glass to be a part of that? It is in the longing of every heart for such a community. And I'm here to announce there is such a community. It's called the church. When I was a child, we used to sing about that community. I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand. Dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven on thy hands. Our names written on his hands, apple of his eye. There is such a thing called the church. I love thy church, O God. Now we all have to admit that not many people sing that song in the day in which we live. Diane and I flew one time into Pittsburgh and uh, um, Cab picked us up at the airport, and uh, like a lot of cabbies might ask, what brings you to our fair city, right? And I said, I'm, I'm meeting with a group of pastors, and, and he said, oh, you're a pastor. I said, yeah, and, and uh, he said, I was converted. Uh, I was converted when I was in college, and he told us a little bit about his becoming a Christian, and I said, um, awesome. I said, what church do you go to? He said, church. I said, I was a Christian. I don't go to church, I hate church. He said, I think the best way to uh, stay a Christian is to avoid the church at all costs. Um, I love thy church, oh God. Not, not everybody's singing that song. You know, um, I, um, I walked up uh, one Sunday preaching on this very subject. When I sat down in the front row, there was a couple sitting next to me. I didn't know them. And they said, are you the, are you the preacher? I said, uh, I am, and they, they said, what are you preaching on? And I told them the, the, the beautiful community of the church, and they started to cry. I hadn't even preached yet. <laughs> <laughs> and they were already crying. And, uh, and I said, well, what's the, what's, what are those tears about? And they said, um, we have met such harshness in the church. Um, you know, um, there are so many stories of church woundedness that just the very word church can cause some people to wince with PTSD. You know, what's, what's particularly sobering for me is that I've been the cause of that pain 
um, in a number of lives. You can't be a pastor for 40 years and not have hurt a lot of people, and I have. I remember I was in Home Depot in the, I was in the, um, I was buying a mailbox. I was in the mailbox aisle. And, um, and I noticed a woman was looking at me. It's not that unusual. I mean, when you have a chiseled um, physique, it, just part of the, 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 the gig. And, um, but she was uh, looking at me and I kind of averted my eyes and uh, you know, kind of glanced over again. She was still looking at me and finally I, I just broke the ice and said, um, yeah, I, I, know we've, I know we've met. And uh, she said, well, yeah, I, I used to go to your church. And uh, she said, um, you know, my kids' names are written on the concrete. Uh, of the floor of the sanctuary. Um, but uh, in our hour of need, uh, um, the church didn't come through for us. And uh, it said, our anger at the church is particularly towards you. You failed us. And that was good. That was good that uh, God uh, allowed that encounter because I could apologize and I could um, express my sorrow um, to her. You know, the, the, the church is to be beautiful, but we know that um, its beauty is marred, right? Um, it's marred by us um, um, because we're not always so beautiful, are we? Um, you know, I had the treat to go to the Sistine Chapel one time in, in the Vatican, and uh, there's considered one of the greatest works of art ever produced, uh, certainly in the Western world, uh, Michelangelo's uh, ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, right, uh, is just one of the epic, if not the epic work of art ever. And they wrote books about it, and, and every art uh, history, art major, art um, whatever has studied it and studied his, and they talked about his muted colors and, um, and, and all sorts of things they gained from his wisdom and brilliance and expertise. It was all written about until a couple years ago when they decided that it was time to close the Sistine Chapel and clean it. It was so covered with grime and, and the residue of smoke and, 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 and all the visitors and, and all of that humidity and everything else through all the ages that they had to bring in uh, experts to do this over many years. And when they were finished, guess what? Everything they wrote about Michelangelo was wrong. Everything they wrote in the books, everything they said in all their classes and all their studies ever, because they'd never seen it, right? Uh, his colors were bright and luminous and completely the opposite of what they'd all pictured uh, he was actually. They had restored it, and it was more magnificent than it had ever been. So who's gonna do that for the church of Jesus? Who's the restoration agent? That's why I like what um, it says in the New Testament and Ephesians, that Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. The church is bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy, beautiful, without any blemish. So Seven Rivers Church, let's go. Let's watch Jesus make his church beautiful again. You ready? I just got two points um, in this sermon. 
See, beauty's breaking out everywhere. What is this beautiful community? It's, it's together. I want to just see the word um, together. So what is the church? The, uh, the, the catechism. Let's look at this. The New City Catechism asked that question, and we're all going to read the answer together. You ready? What is the church? God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God. What's the word? God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. We could read that about five times. Uh, That definition is so rich. What's it telling us? The church is not a building. We call the building, we, we call it a church, right? But that's, the, that's, that's a church building. It's, it's just a building. The church is not a place. The church is not we're, not, at, we're not doing church right now. We're doing worship right now. It's the church in the building doing worship. The church is a people, right? A fraternity of the lost who have been found. It's a fraternity of the broken who are being restored. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to this community. You belong to those who belong to Jesus. It's one thing to fall in love with Jesus. And you say, when did you fall in love with Jesus? And you might have an answer for that. If somebody could then ask, and when did you fall in love with his church? And if the answer is, I don't love his church, I don't participate in his church, then let's go back to question number one, because you don't love Jesus if you don't love his church. You might think you're in love with Jesus, but Jesus loves the church, so how can you love him if the most important thing to him is his church? And you say, nope, not for me. I don't do church. The church, I wanna say a couple things about it. It is a living picture of what human relating was supposed to look like. Yes, it's flawed. Everything I'm gonna say is, is, is what the church is gonna be when Christ is finally done with it. I mean, we're inescapably flawed. So at every point I make, you could say, well, I've been coming to Southern Rivers, and it's certainly not that. Um, I remember the week I walked in, I was preaching on this subject, I walked in and a kid in the children's lobby had thrown up, right in the middle. And throw up doesn't really capture it. It was more like they blew up. Um, and I remember thinking, this is perfect. This is like a perfect introduction to Seven Rivers Church for everybody who walks in. <laughs> They're gonna say, ooh, this is a mess, exactly. And if you're a mess, well, this church will work for you. Um, but it's a demonstration community, the churches, to show the world the beauty of Trinitarian love. Where does community come from? Before there was a world, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost living in community. So why does God make us? Why does God create the world? Because the the beauty of their unity, um, just like a marriage, right? Uh, A husband and wife love each other so they reproduce because they want to enlarge the circle. They want that love to be shared with the family. This is what God does. That's what a church is. It grows right out of this Trinitarian love. Tim Keller um, wrote these words. The church is a whole new people, a counterculture. In it, our relationships are distinct and different from those in the surrounding culture. The church is not simply an aggregation of individuals who are saved, but it is a pilot plant of what humanity would look like under the lordship of Christ. We are to show the world a whole new way of being human. Got it? 
Um, it is to be a beautiful, starkly distinct alternative to an unraveling society that's choosing to do a life without God. And the more our society unravels, the more the church will look what? Beautiful, beautiful. Because the darker it gets, even a dim light looks bright, right? This is our chance, this is the church's day. Second, I want you to see that the church is a community of connection. We do life together. How does the Bible start? Adam and Eve and God together. And then when they rebel against God, what's the first thing that happens? What what does Adam say to God? The woman you gave me is the cause of all this problem, right? Immediately there's separation, isn't there? And then they have two sons and the most, the horror of horrors, right? Fratricide, Cain kills Abel. And here the world goes just splintering. We come to the Tower of Babel. We find uh, people and humanity at each other's throats apart. The church is a community of together, brought back together, gospel restoration. We don't do life alone. We don't thrive alone. It's not good for man to be what? Not good for man to be alone. So Geraldine Largay was a retiree Uh, She's about 66 years old in this picture. It's the last picture of her ever taken. Um, She had a a friend of hers, another woman, and they decided they're gonna walk the Appalachian Trail. And um, I just read this story this week in the New York Times. Um, They set out in April, and uh, they were bold, they were adventurous, they were in good shape, and they walked for four months together, April, May, June, July, and they covered a 1,000 miles of the Appalachian um, Trail, having the time of their lives. And then something um, ominous happened. Her partner that she was walking with, her friend, had a family emergency, and she had to, she had to leave. She had to leave the, the hike. Um, and it really wasn't within about a week or two that uh, Geraldine... Um, one day, to relieve herself, she left the trail, just back into the brush, in the bush, and um, when she went to find the trail again, she went the wrong way, and got deeper and deeper into the bush, um, and, they, and nobody found her for two and a half years. And she was discovered in her tent, in her sleeping bag, and with her journal of, of all her attempts to uh, Um, So what happened? It was a beautiful story. I mean, here she was on the adventure of a lifetime. And then what happened? She was alone. Suddenly she was alone. And her aloneness, losing that other woman, cost her everything, right? We were not made to do life alone. We can't make it alone. It's a disaster to be alone. And I love when it says here that the church, the first church, right, knowing they're gonna be the persecuted community, the hated community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, and they were together, right? They learned together, they worshiped together, they ate together. I mean, what would worship be like if you had to do it alone, all the time alone? I need you here on weekends. I need you to sing me back to belief, back to faith, back to Jesus, to help me believe we were made for together. You know what Nelson Mandela said? 
Um, Nelson Mandela, one of my life heroes, 27 years imprisoned on Robben Island. He said the big mistake of the authorities when they imprisoned us, they didn't break us. Their big mistake, you know what it was? They imprisoned us together. He said every day we strengthened each other. Every day we built up each other's determination. They blew it. They let us be together. You know, um, the, the, the invasion, D-Day invasion of Normandy, the, the army rangers going up uh, Pont du Hoc um, that we celebrate. Um, Stephen Ambrose wrote a book about that invasion. You know what that book, epic book was called? What? The Band of Brothers. They didn't do it alone. They couldn't make it alone. The band of brothers, right? Um, that's God's family. God's family does life together. We eat, we play, we travel, we dance, we cry, we serve together. We pay for each other's kids to go to camp and missions trips. We babysit for tired young moms. We sit with those with dementia to give their spouses a break. We pray folks through the horrors of chemotherapy. We are a family. We are a family. A friend of mine knows Christian Vandeveld. He was a Tour de France, one of the best bicyclist competitive racers in America's ever produced. And he said a friend was telling him one time he was riding with Christian Vandeveld and you ride, these guys ride in a pack, right? They draft off each other. You've seen them do this in competitive cycling. You don't, you don't go out and tackle these difficult um, mountains and, and, uh, and rides alone. You do it, you draft off each other, right? Uh, and once you are separated from the pack, you, you lose your strength, you lose. Um, and they, they talked about how Vandeveld, uh, um, one time they were riding, they're practicing, and, and he saw Vandeveld um, as one guy just fell off the, the, the group and, and was drifting backwards and couldn't keep up. And they saw him let his um, self just drop back with that guy all the way back, came alongside of him and then put his hand on his back and cycled uh, him all the way back into the group, right? An incredible feat, he said, of pushing this guy all the way back till he was restored to the group. You see, that's why when church is over, you don't just get up and run to your car because there's somebody here you need to cycle back into the pack there's somebody that needs uh, your hand on their shoulder. Church is not walking in here and hearing, a, a, and, and hearing some songs and a sermon and then, uh, and then beating it to your car. That's not church. That means you worshiped. You came and got nourished. You ate and you, you ran. Church means we do life together. That's what the family of God does. I wanna say third, the family of God is a community of scandalous inclusion and beautiful diversity. Do you, do you know who was in the first church? A Samaritan, the Jews hated them. They hated them, there was a lot of Samaritans. Gross. You know, there were Gentiles too. Jews didn't like that either. That was a big conflict at the very beginning of the church. Gentiles, God doesn't like Gentiles. Um, there's a lot of Gentiles in here. Maybe they were right. Um, there were prostitutes. 
I mean, there was only a, not only a Samaritan, there was a Samaritan woman who had had five husbands. She was in the church. There were tax collectors, collaborators with Rome. There were zealots, right? Hard right militants. There were eunuchs in the church. There was a eunuch from Ethiopia. The unwanted, the broken, the outcast, the abused, they were all in this new community. Think about this. Think about in heaven. You ever thought about in heaven your next door neighbor might be a converted Nazi? I don't think I want to go. Well, it's your choice. Do you know I read the um, um, memoirs of a Lutheran pastor as a chaplain in the United States Army and after World War II they sent him to Nuremberg where the German high command was imprisoned and tried and then hung. And a number of those German leaders of the Holocaust were converted. Think about that. Nazis in the church. Converted pedophiles in the church. It's scandalous, isn't it? It really is. I read Gordon MacDonald wrote about going to an AA meeting. He wasn't uh, an alcoholic, but he went for a year just to, to experience the community of Alcoholics Anonymous. He wrote about one experience when he said one morning Kathy seemed to be 35, joined us the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21, but now her face was swollen, eyes red, teeth rotting, hair unwashed. I've been in five states in the past month, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights. I've been arrested, sexually assaulted, robbed. She was weeping. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't wanna be homeless anymore. I can't stop drinking, I can't stop, I can't. Next to Kathy was a large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. She reached with both arms toward Kathy and pulled her close. Gordon McDonald said, I was close enough to hear Marilyn whisper into her ear, honey, you're gonna be okay, you're with us now. We can deal with this, I love that word, together. All of you, have to, all you have to do is keep coming, hear me? Keep on coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head and Gordon McDonald said, I was awestruck. The simple words, the affection, the tenderness, it was so Jesus-like. You know the thing about AA? A lot of people come into church and you know what they say? I demand you accept me just like I am. That's not what AA says. In AA, what do you have to say? Hi, my name's Ray, I'm an alcoholic. Everybody in AA has to say, I'm broken and I can't fix myself. I need help. See, to anybody who will say, I am broken and I can't fix myself, I need help, the church says, come on, come on in, right? Come on in. It's a community of the helpless and broken. I want to say a word to people here who are African American or Hispanic or Asian or Middle Eastern or Eskimos. I don't think we have any, but just in case. I want to thank them for their courage and generosity, willingness to join this mostly white church is hard. Hard for people to go to a a majority white church. We live in a majority white community. And we don't know it's hard if you're white. Um, 
Recently, Diane and I had friends coming, thinking of moving here. They decided to move here. They want to be a part of this church. Um, Carlos, and that couple, he's Mexican, and Carlos said to me before they came the first time and visited here, he said, uh, are there any Hispanic people there? And it's like, Carlos, baby, you come because then we'll have more. And every time we have more, then guess what? When, when another Hispanic walks through the door, they look around the room and they say, this, this could feel like home to me too. There's a beauty in the diversity of the church. If you don't like diversity, then, then take a pass on heaven, right? Because it's filled with every tribe and tongue and nation. And when the church of Jesus Christ reflects that, it's all the more beautiful. So thank you. And last, I just say it's a community of interdependence, the church. You know, the, the, the New Testament says we're like a body, right? So, so we're all different parts. So, so, you know, a shin bone doesn't make the body. And skin doesn't make the body. And, um, and, and, and the body has a liver and the body has eyes, right? And has all these different parts. Um, and, and, you know, the body even has like an epiglottis. The epiglottis. I mean, I'm sorry, but somebody hears the epiglottis in this church. And, and it, but, it, but somebody hears like the liver. And so you could say, I'm the liver. You know, the body can do without skin. The body can apparently do without hair. The body can do without a lot of things, but it can't do without a liver. So I must be one of the really big, important people in this church. But the body can do without the liver, but the liver can't do without the, the body. You take a liver and you put it on that table down there, it's not like valuable and important and epic and it's gross, <laughs> right? It's ugly, it's decaying, it's dying if it's separated from the body. We're interdependent. We cannot do life without each other. You cannot thrive without community. We're to be a community of mutual care. What did it say they do in, in Acts? It tells us that everyone was selling their possessions and their property and they were bringing it to the leaders of the church and they were distributing it so that everybody got taken care of because, well, that's what has to happen. Um, a place of, of, of being for each other. So I... I I read about a dad, he said that he had two young sons and he'd come home and he'd find them fighting and they were at each other and they're wrestling over toys and they're, and they're, and they're always in each other's face in business and finally he just got tired of it and he, he said, stand here and I want you three inches from each other and I don't want you touching each other and I want you looking in each other's face. And he looked at them and he said, outside that front door, people fight. Outside that front door, people um, are, are, are mean and ugly and, and against. He said, but inside the door of this place, we build each other up. And he said, now I want you to hear you say it. We build each other up. We build each other up. And he got them chanting it, stare in their faces and say, we build each other up. We are a family. So a couple years ago, we had a guy leading worship here and after worship, he was a guest. He came to me and said, I gotta be honest with you. You know what somebody said to me after church? And listen, I'm a pastor. When I'm done, I'm gonna write all the cruel things that are said to pastors after churches. And I'm putting your name on the book. <laughs> Just a, finally, catharsis. He said, you know what? You know what somebody said to me after church? They said, 
when you sing, the way you scrunch up your face is so off-putting. It's so, uh, it looks like you need to use the bathroom. It made me so mad. I remember I came to us the next week and I said, we, I don't know who said that, but we are not gonna have that in this place. Do you know who that was? That was Josh Bales. Josh Bales has become one of the best worship leaders in America. Josh Bales, who's, who's uh, still continues to minister to this church 10 or 15 years after that incident happened. And we're gonna bring young people and they're gonna preach and they're gonna lead music and they're gonna stand up in front of you and we are not gonna treat people that way because out there, they tear you down. In here, we build each other up. We cheer for each other. That's a church. Got it? Last of all then, um, here's, the, here's, the, here's the second point and we're done. <laughs> the beautiful community, why is it beautiful? Because, not because we're beautiful. Left to ourselves, we're ugly. Selfish, self-absorbed. We're beautiful because we're loved. We are not the good, we are the loved. What does it say there? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's why we're beautiful, because of our Savior and his love. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so our God rejoices over us. We are his family, we are his adopted children. We were orphans, but he found us, and he brought us in, and he chose us. He loved us before he ever thought of the world, the Bible says. He made us his treasure. We are the apple of his eye. And that changes everything. You know what a friend wrote me one time? These words. He said, my life is a cauldron of failure, foolishness, laziness, overworking, anger, deceit, and lust. My wife wrote a six or eight page letter to my accountability group basically saying she'd given up on me ever being the person she fell in love with. I put on 40 pounds. I drank more than I ever had since college. And then he told me in the letter that he'd experienced the grace of God busting into his life and this is the difference it made. He said, I'm joyful. I love my house. I, love my, I even love my dumb dog. My, my temper's been tempered. I love my church so much it pains me to ever be away from them. The same kind of pain I feel when I'm away from my wife and kids when I'm out of town. I've had to rethink everything in my life. He said, I know there's more joy. I love my neighborhood more than I did. I love the food I eat better. I love music more than I ever did. I, love, I don't know that I'll ever be what I'm supposed to be, but I know the love of God is transforming me. It's the power of being loved. And you know what the power of being loved does? Um, you know, we, are, we are loved. It causes us to love. That's where love comes from. That's where the beauty comes from. So I watched this week a story about a woman named Jessica Buchanan. She was in Somalia. She was in a charitable organization helping to demine villages and areas um, because of civil war that's raged there for years. One day, suddenly these rebels swept in. They grabbed her and a colleague. They threw you know, bags over their heads. They they, uh, she thought she was going to die. She thought she was going to be sexually abused immediately. Um, they, she got slammed into different cars as they transported her. There was gunfire. There was all of this. Uh, 
and, uh, and off they went. She had no idea who this was, where she was going, what, uh, of course, she was terrified. Uh, they, they, they moved her around for nine straight days, she thought, and uh, at times they had her kneel and put guns to the back of her head. She thought, this is it, it's over. And uh, finally, um, they got wherever they were going and um, they slept every night under trees. She had about 10 or 15 rebels um, uh, guarding her and uh, this colleague. They were um, in, uh, outdoors, out in the middle of the middle of somewhere in Somalia, somewhere on the other side of the planet that she had no idea who they were or anything else or why they had her or what they intended to do with her or anything. And it went on for three months. She got horribly sick. She was dying. And, um, and uh, she laid down one night, and in the middle of the night, gunfire broke out, and she was almost relieved. This is it. And uh, suddenly the gunfire grew closer, and then there were hands on her, and then there were people grabbing her up, and, uh, and then she heard the, the worst, uh, the, the, the most beautiful word she'd ever heard. Are you Jessica Buchanan? And they were English voices. They were speaking English. And they said, we're the United States military. And um, these Navy SEALs had jumped out of an airplane um, because President Obama sent them, because President Obama knew her and knew of her condition and knew that she was sick and um, and dropped uh, Navy SEALs, SEAL Team 6, on the other side of the world. And they grabbed her up and they ran with her. And then the gunfire got close again and they put her on the ground and they all laid on top of her because they'd give their lives to save her. They got her into a helicopter and they got her safe. President Obama came out of giving the State of the Union address and called her dad and mom on the phone, right in the hallway, right outside. What a moment. We got her. She's coming home. She said on this 60 Minutes interview, I couldn't believe it. They knew my name. They called me by name. They came and got me on the other side of the world. The President of the United States knew my name. That's what makes the community beautiful is when you realize the greatest rescue mission ever launched was God sending his son who didn't just, wasn't just willing to die, he what? He died. He came to die because God knew your name. He knew it before he made the world. He knew your name and he was not going to lose you. And he rescued you from a life of captivity to selfishness and brokenness so he could take you home. So Seven Rivers Church, let's go. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.